Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. Now, today's title is Coaching the Genogram, a powerful tool to deeply form leaders. Actually, this is the first of three tools that uh, I believe and we believe needs to be in the toolbox of every leader uh, in order to deeply change uh, your church, your ministry, the leaders that you're leading. Now, the primary work of every pastor, every leader, every whether it's church or nonprofit, even those of you who are in the marketplace, uh, is to develop people, that is, disciple people, and uh, to and thus create a culture, a disciple-making culture, not just in people's roles, but actually in their development, their maturity as disciples, as followers of Christ. And this happens by, of course, us doing our own work and then in, and learning particular skills or means to coach or mentor our leaders, our teams, uh, those in our ministry. So today's podcast focuses on the genogram. Now, the genogram is a powerful visual tool to document the history and dynamics of our family relationships and their impact on us going back three to four generations. It's a core part of our entire work called Emotionally Healthy Discipleship. Uh, but before we launch into it, uh, let me just say a few words of why a tool like this is so worth your time and investment to master. Now, just think of this with me for a moment. God so loves the world more than we could ever, ever imagine. And he comes to earth in a person of Jesus, and he engages in a th brief three-year ministry. Massive crowds flock to him, and he teaches, he heals, he drives out demons, people experience miracles. But he chooses 12, 12 uh, people who we'd say were at least uh, messed up on multiple levels, uh, folks who actually had a faulty understanding of God and Jesus. They had worldliness that they picked up from their culture. They had a number of wrong messages and bad habits inside of them coming out of their families of origin. And they had lots of misconceptions about what God was doing in and through Jesus. But for three years, Jesus' strategy, Jesus' priority was to disciple, to mentor those 12. In fact, the more one thinks about it, the more incredible it is that Jesus decides and executes an upside-down strategy of focusing on the three, Peter, James, and John, and then the 12, and then the 70. Uh, and then he's got, of course, the great, the multitudes, the 500 and the multitudes, and, and the whole world he knows long-term will be blessed. That's why we're here today. In fact, the largest amount of time in the Gospels uh, that Jesus spends, time and energy, is with the 12 into developing them. He was very intentional about that. And it's that word intentional that is so key. Now, coaching the genogram is one powerful, practical tool to help you be intentional one-on-one -on -one or one-on-one -on -one with a small group to move people forward in their discipleship journey. So I'm especially referring to your team around you. Now, one of our key goals in Emotionally Healthy Discipleship is to move you and your entire ministry to make a shift, a strategic shift, uh, that will in, that you'll invest time and energy into the transformation of your team in Jesus, that is their discipleship, and that becomes central to what you do. So towards that end, we've developed now over the last 28 years, 
all kinds of materials and tools and curriculums to help you do that. Now, the genogram, which is today's topic for this podcast, in particular, uh, may be the most powerful tool or among the most powerful tools that we have. It's so far-reaching, its impact on people, that not one area of their lives ends up being untouched by it. So in just a few moments, I'm going to explain to you the six phases of coaching a person's genogram, and then you're going to hear me actually coach three different people's genogram on this podcast. But before launching into that, let me just review uh, briefly the biblical framework for uh, genogram. Uh, It goes simply like this, that the blessings and sins of our families go back three to four generations, and this profoundly impacts who we are today and how we do relationships. So when the Bible uses the word family, it refers to our entire extended family over three to four generations. That means your family, in the biblical sense, includes all the people related to you going back to the late 1800s. And and the principle is that what happens in one generation tends to repeat itself in the next. And the consequences of actions and decisions in one generation affect those that follow. Now, we see that. Uh, throughout scripture, that, that theme of the sins of the fathers are passed on from generation to generation. But the second core principle underlying the genogram is that when we become Christians, we're birthed into the new family, the family of God, the new family of Jesus. Uh, we're spiritually reborn by the Holy Spirit into this new family, uh, and our new identity is no longer our biological blood, but the blood of Jesus. Uh, It is a radical new beginning. We're adopted, that's the biblical language, into this family. God is now our father. Our debts, that is our sins of the past, have all been canceled. We're given a new name, Christian. We have a new inheritance, his glory forever. And we're joined with new brothers and sisters from around the world in this new family. And then discipleship, thirdly, is is putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and our culture and learning, how do I do life in this new family of Jesus? That's the whole work of discipleship. That's our lifelong work. That's the, the great news of Christianity is that your biological family of origin or your culture doesn't determine your future. God does. Uh, and that's discipleship. But we like to say Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa's in your bones. Uh, now, what that means is that discipleship is going to the cross and dying so you might be resurrected. It's losing your life that you might find it. But sadly, few of us go back to go forward. And so we end up fundamentally in a, what I call shallow discipleship. We're not doing life that differently from how our families did then. In other words, our transformation in Jesus very often in our ministries is skin deep. I like to say it this way. Many people have, uh, in a sense, secular scriptures or, or script, secular scriptures or scripts, almost that they carry divine weight. We have all these oughts and shoulds and musts that we feel internally that we can't stop ourselves from doing. These kind of commandments we get from our families, like you shall judge yourself harshly, or you shall be guided by fear, or you shall not have a delightful, wonderful life, uh, or you shall not be vulnerable and open. You, you shall get it right all the time and never make mistakes, or you shall avoid conflict because conflict is dangerous and bad. And you should, you should remember that you're not good enough, that you shouldn't feel what you feel. You should not have fun. The list goes on. They're kind of like secular messages that we get into our bones. But when we come to Jesus, discipleship is, is God, in a sense, freeing us and getting Jesus into our bones. And, and we replace, in a sense, these wrong messages coming out of our families with, with Scripture, with, with God's way of seeing us. That is, 
For example, your unique self was created by God as a gift to the world. There's nobody like you. You're unrepeatable. It's good that you exist. You're lovable. You're good enough. You don't have to be perfect. You're allowed to make mistakes. You're a joy. You've got nothing left to prove. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who died and rose for you. And your needs are a delight. The list goes on. That's why going back to go forward or breaking the power of the past uh, which we now work out in this genogram, is such a powerful tool, such a powerful practice, such a powerful theology to integrate into our lives. It's actually embodied, or it actually, it actually is in both the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, uh, two parts. It's in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and in Emotionally Healthy Relationships. And the genogram is a practice that shows you how to go back so that you can go forward into all that God has for you. Now, for 17 to 20 years, Jerry and I worked on how to adapt this tool of a genogram. Now, it comes out of family systems theory. Uh, Jerry and I were first exposed to it ourselves in a very uh, cursory way in a therapist's office, actually, 28 years ago. Uh, and uh, we were like, oh my gosh, and looking at our, the marriages of our parents and our grandparents and then in our marriage, going back, you know, just three generations and like, uh, looking at how our marriages actually were not that different than our parents uh, and our grandparents. And it was quite shocking. And that got us going on going back to go forward in this concept of genogram. We spent years working on it. And I actually ended up in an advanced program where I did a genogram of my family for an entire year of how my past has impacted my present and what it likes to get free in Jesus as a leader and as a person. And so over these years, we developed this tool called the genogram uh, of your family. And uh, so today... Uh, I'm going to walk you through coaching uh, a genogram, a leader's genogram in particular. So I'm going to share with you a 10-minute clip that's taken from the level two training in our leader's training vault on our website. Uh, and so I'm going to start out by explaining the six phases of coaching a leader's genogram. And actually, the worksheet that I'm going to go through there uh, is part of a workbook in that level two training. And again, you can you can download it for free. Again, you want to go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash training to download it. But then you're going to hear me, after I go through those six phases, you'll hear me coaching three people's genograms as a model. Uh, a person named Matt, Dave, and Kim. And again, if you want to watch the full video of this clip that you're going to hear, and you'll see actually their genograms on the screen as I'm working with them. Just go to the level two training uh, on our website and you can go, you can sign up for free access to that. Again, just go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash training. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash training. Uh, and you'll be able to watch me actually do this 10 minute clip that you're going to hear right now. Okay, so. Sit back, I'll explain the six phases of emotionally, of coaching a leader's genogram, and then you'll watch me or hear me coach three leaders' genogram. Here it is. Our goal is to use the tool of genogram your family from session three as a means to deepen a table leader's formation and discipleship with Jesus. Phase one, they'll send you their genogram in advance and you'll prayerfully review their genogram before the meeting, noting a few questions you'll wanna ask. Now be selective as you will only have time for a few. Phase two, you thank them as you begin by being willing and so vulnerable to share their life story with you. 
Then you ask your deepening, clarifying questions. Notice body language, tears or tone of voice, and then glance at the paper. For example, abuse is very significant. You might ask, how have you processed that? Have you ever told anyone? Ask, did you get to that final question of number four that's in the workbook on page 66? What are one or two insights you learned regarding how your family's impacted who you are today? What was that like for you? Notice themes, divorce, addiction, depression, or earthquake events. What was that like for you? Notice relationship lines. I noticed things like conflict and distance and enmeshment. How did your family express anger, hurt, sadness, fear? What happened if you were hurt or sad? Help them see the criticalness of emotional connection and expression of feelings for loving well. Possible question is, is there a story you can tell me that stands out in your childhood that might offer a picture or a window into your past? Explore earthquake events, immigration, death, divorce, etc. Is there anyone else who impacted you that's not on this genogram, you may ask? If little is written, they may not know a lot about their family. So you ask, why do you think that is? At some point, you move to phase three and you ask, based on what you understand right now, what do you think might be one to three of your vulnerabilities or negative life messages that you're carrying in your bones? How do you think that might be impacting you? In phase four, you help them consider, if possible, next step implications. For example, getting help for their marriage or starting with Sabbath to slow down or learning to feel by doing Explore the Iceberg as part of devotions or seeing a counselor. Or you may want them to consider one or two other vulnerabilities or wounds or negative life messages they may not yet have thought about. And then phase five, you encourage them for the miracle of their life and what they've overcome to get to this point, their courage, fortitude, faithfulness. The fact that they are with you and sharing so vulnerably the pearls about their life is in itself amazing. This especially is important for those with very broken histories. And finally, phase six, you bless them in prayer that God may use this process to free them to become the unique men and women he has created them to be. Now, let me illustrate this process with three table leader genograms using these guidelines. The first is Matt. He's married to Natalie. His mom's name is Veronica and his dad's name is Sal. When I did phase one and prayerfully reviewed his genogram, I was struck by how much he had written around themes and earthquake events. He even put down three scripts, work to live, don't do anything, you'll fail, no risks, and assume slights or hurts will dictate relationships. And he had three other points in asterisks right above the box called genogram symbols not allowed to feel, pursuit of a dream, stupid, and racial issues. So I began by asking him to talk about which of these were most significant in informing who he was today as an adult. There was so much material here that I also asked him, is there a story, Matt, you can tell me that stands out in your childhood that might offer a picture or a window into your past? And you'll see that question under phase two. He then told me an incredible story of how his father would take him as a child for long rides in the car under one condition, that Matt never speak. It suddenly made sense to me why Matt so rarely spoke up and asserted himself in meetings when he had so many good things to say. 
But I asked him the question in phase three, based on what you understand right now, what do you think might be one to three of your vulnerabilities or negative life messages that you're carrying around your bones? How do you think that might be impacting you? He shared immediately that he never realized that his family had given him these messages. Be quiet. Don't take risks. Cut people off if you think they might hurt you. He never imagined until this moment that he could actually change them. When I asked him what he thought his next steps were, phase four, he shared that he was already looking for a Christian counselor and had already begun speaking up at work. I blessed him for how much work he had done beyond the class in his own preparation for our meeting, and I told him how excited I was for his future. Now, second, this is Dave's genogram. His grandparents were Christians. His parents were Christians. And his childhood and young adult years were spent in church. He summed it up like this. If the church doors were open, we were there. So for Dave, doing his genogram was a shock, especially as he saw this new visual point of view that his family was not perfect. After thanking him, I began to ask him a few clarifying questions. Phase two, about what it was like to grow up under his dad, who didn't do feelings, and was a workaholic. I asked about the themes of shame, silence, no feelings, and why he wrote, be a good Christian always, avoid conflict at all costs. I then asked him about his aunt, who died at 9-11. It turns out she was in her late 30s with two small children and that they were quite close, but that his family didn't have any ability to grieve or process that horrendous earthquake event. When I moved on to ask about what he thought might be one to three negative life messages that he might be carrying, phase three, he exclaimed, Pete, I don't do feelings. I don't know how to feel. I never even myself allowed myself to feel my aunt's death on 9-11. It's been almost 15 years and I haven't yet to go back to ground zero. That's where he wanted to start. And it sure seemed like a good place to me. When I asked him about his next steps with this, phase four, he simply said, I just have to start feeling. It's just so new. It feels so weird. He ended by saying he did not want his inability to feel to be passed on to his two teenage boys. Needless to say, Dave's marriage, his parenting, and his leadership were all profoundly changed over the next couple of years out of this pivotal event of doing his genogram. Now, the final genogram we're going to show you is Kim's. Jerry and I did her genogram together. So after prayerfully reviewing it, phase one, we asked a few clarifying questions to get a better sense of her story, phase two. We asked about her adoption. Her parents had given her up because they had three girls before her and didn't want a fourth. They simply didn't have the money. And she also had a lip deformity. So they gave Kim away to her mother's brother, who said, no matter how ugly this child is, I'm going to love this child the rest of my life. We then asked her about the death of her husband at age 37. It turns out that when he went for a kidney transplant, they gave him a kidney with cancer, and he died shortly thereafter. Then, since she didn't write down any themes or earthquake events, we asked her about that. 
For themes, she said there were two major ones, loss and favoritism. As for earthquake events, she mentioned in particular her adopted family's immigration from Singapore to the United States. I asked her, is there a story you can tell me that stands out in your childhood that might offer a picture or a window into your past? Again, you'll see that question under phase two. She then told a story about sneaking into the United States in the dark trunk of a car across the Canadian border. And when immigration officials were talking outside the car with her on the inside of the trunk and her being so deathly afraid. And that for the first time, it made sense to her why she slept with the lights on and why she was so afraid of the dark. We then moved to phase three. And I asked her, how do you think, Kim, this all has impacted who you are today? And she shared that she always saw life as awful and felt like she was never good enough. As one of her biological sisters would say to her, you're so stupid. That's why you were raised in an adopted family. So since Kim was a table leader for us over a couple of years, we had a front row seat to her amazing discovery of her value and worth. For example, she later went to her boss who had unfairly not given her a raise in salary for many years. And she shared with him that she was being treated unjustly. The result was that he not only gave her a raise, but he gave everyone in the office a raise. She also took initiative with her biological siblings and reconciled those hurt relationships. The list goes on, but all I can say is that her transformation over the last few years has been nothing short of extraordinary. I hope you enjoyed that and can see that one of the greatest gifts we offer people uh, is hope, is the God of the resurrection who's alive, who wants to take our lives and our histories and transform them into a gift for the world. We serve a God who works good in, through, and in spite of our families and our pasts. I love the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, going back from chapters 37 to, to 50, where we look at Joseph's life in those chapters who had all kinds of trauma uh, in his family, uh, rejection, actually experienced abuse, uh, and then ends up as a, a slave. He ends up in prison uh, over a number of years and then eventually ends up becoming the second in power in Pharaoh's Egypt. Uh, and tremendous cutoffs and breaks in his family. But at the end of his life, he's able to say to his brothers who had hurt him and wounded him so deeply, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In other words, Joseph is able to, in a sense, grieve his past, look at it, but he goes forward and ends up becoming a, he heals his family, but he, and he's a blessing to the nations. He feeds nations. Um, he integrates all of his losses, his history, his family of origin, uh, and is a gift. The very sample, the very answer is how did he do this was he sees God, a God who was planning and orchestrating it all ultimately for good. So on one level, we could look at the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis, and we see the struggle on one level of a family, of an individual with great problems. But on another level, we see the purposes of God at work in hidden and mysterious way. God's working out his purpose through and in spite of the evil of Joseph's brothers and the traumas that Joseph experiences. In fact, as one scholar likes to call it, we see the invisibility of God in human affairs.
Joseph is a realist. He laments, but he's certain of God. He knows that, yes, people may have planned this for evil, but God planned it for good. And that the evil plans of human beings don't defeat God's story. Instead, they unwittingly become ways that God's plan is actually furthered. Out of death and suffering comes life. And in so, in so many ways, the story of Joseph, and in a sense, his genogram, uh, is the gospel. God is about bringing good for you. And God's sovereignty and blessings can be found in what appears to be even the most horrific, uh, difficult circumstances. doesn't mean God approves of it. It's simply testimony of God's ability to bring good out of evil. And God intends every person's life to be a blessing to the world. Uh, and that includes every person on your team. That includes you. And God's uh, a God of resurrection. He creates newness. He creates new beginnings. That's why the book Genesis means new beginnings. God is for life. And we are to be in awe of this. Uh, and so Joseph breaks free. And our work is to set other people free as well. And so we want to equip you to lead those whom God's entrusted to your care on how to live freely in this new family of Jesus. This is the deep change and the deep work of discipleship. So we want to invite you to take this genogram tool, uh, hang in there with folks, uh, many of whom carry, many of our people that we're leading carry a lifetime of internalized shame, a, a sense that God finds them a disgrace or a disappointment or a failure. In their bloodstream stream is this feeling of God disapproves of me. Uh, God's is kind of like voice to them is shape up or ship out or ship, shape up or ship out. But we enter people's worlds, right? We enter their world. We provide safety and we reframe the way they see their lives and uh, and help them learn to live freely in this new family of Jesus. We reframe how they see failure and success and greatness and limits and loss and grief and setbacks and difficulties for a great future that God has for them. So uh, we, we invite you to actually coach them in their genogram. Now, it may be that you've never yourself done a genogram. That is, look back at your family of origin going back three to four generations and its impact on you uh, and your following of Jesus and your leadership. So, yes, do your genogram first, uh, and you can do that in the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, part one, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and part two, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. But for today, I want you to see what it looks like to catch a vision, a vision for actually setting other people free through using this tool of coaching the genogram. Uh, Jerry and I have coached hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of genograms over these last 28 years uh, from around the world. And we've coached people on how to do it themselves, how to coach other people's genograms. But only in this past year did we put it into a training video uh, so that it could be widely available, that you could learn how to coach a person's genogram. So to learn to coach a genogram, I want to invite you again to go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash training. That's emotionallyhealthy.org slash training. And you can register for free to get access into what we call our Leaders Training Vault. And it's in our level two training that you'll have access to the video uh, that I actually, you heard the voice for today. And you'll see this tool's power and how it can be used uh, in your leadership and your ministry. Again, that's emotionallyhealthy.org slash training. You'll have to register. It's free. Uh, and you want to go to level two training in that training vault. All right. And um, and watch that and download that six phases of coaching a person's genogram that can be found in that workbook that also you can download for free. 
The bottom line is this, that learning how to coach and lead others, others through their genogram is going to create a whole new culture for you. It's going to create a whole new level of vulnerability and safety um, among your own leadership team. And you'll help them. You'll help them break free like Joseph into the great plan God has for them. I can think of few greater gifts we can offer those around us, those that we serve. But as always, it begins with us. Now, if you're saying to yourself, Pete, this is too big. This is way bigger than me. I can't even imagine doing such a thing or creating this kind of a culture uh, among those whom I lead. Well, let me remind you of that one of my favorite truths from Jesus that always helps me when I'm in front of a new large challenge. And it comes from Mark 10, 27, where Jesus says, with human beings, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I love you. I love that. With human beings, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And we've seen this happen over and over and over again as people have embarked on this journey. The only qualification is for you to be open, faithful, available, and teachable. Open to you, open to Jesus for your own journey with him as you wrestle with these rich biblical truths in your own life and seek to give them away to others. So thank you so much. It's been so good to be with you. I hope you enjoyed that clip. And may the Lord bless you, fill you with the Holy Spirit, and be with you this day. Blessings. God bless. Have a good day.